the incomparable. Number 586. October 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an episode about Season 2 of Ted Lasso, just completed on Apple TV+. And to talk about it, I'm joined by the following wonderful people. Oh, also, James Thompson is here. Hi, James. <laughs> uh, there was one podcast this season where I was accidentally on mushrooms. <laughs> Mike Hurley is also here. He's going to provide excellent, detailed explanations of how soccer works. Hello. 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 The Ted you know is gone for now. Oh, no. Is this Hike Murley? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Hello, mate. <laughs> oh, now he's got all the football knowledge. Yeah, Dan Warren is here. Hello. Hello, Jason. Football is death, but also life. But also but football life. is also football. Uh-huh. And Kelly Gamont. Hello. Fun. This will be fun. <laughs> so uh, everybody loved season one of Ted Lasso. And uh, a lot of people found it during the pandemic and like they're locked down and they watched it and they maybe binged it and they thought it was just a thing that was made them happy, even though there's a lot in season one of Ted Lasso that isn't just about happy things. It's more complicated than that. There's like sad episodes, but somehow people forgot that. Anyway, then here comes season two and it's got to live up to the hype and the and all of the expectations and a lot of people are going to be watching it rolled out weekly instead of in a binge like maybe they did with season one. And there's going to be a lot of discussion about whether it's a sophomore slump or if they've lost the magic. And, uh, you know, in the end, I think a lot of that is silly. And then, I mean, I gave it away. I think a lot of it is context that it's never going to be the same as it was in season one because you're never going to be the same as you were in the <laughs> middle of 2020. It's probably a good thing. Um, mm. But certainly, you know, we're not going back. So uh, I, I wanted to ask all of you about uh, sort of your your overall... We're not going to sum it up now, but uh, did you have feelings about this sort of like the trepidation of are they can they do it again? Um, and and going into it, like what what how high was the bar set, and were you worried about that, or were you not worried about that? I think it's tricky. I, I try not to go in with those kinds of expectations to any kind of show because I think in large part I go in thinking, you know what, I really enjoyed this thing, and therefore these people have the ben have earned the benefit of the doubt. And so when I go into watching a second season, I'm like, you know what? I enjoyed last season. I am hopeful that I will enjoy this season. I think that's the way I always approach it because I never want to go in feeling like, oh, can they live up to what they did last time? Because it just it sets a bar that's unreasonable for these people who don't know anything about how much I enjoyed the thing last time, right? They didn't design it thinking, Dan will really like this. And I hope <laughs> we can live up to his expectations for season two. So, uh, you know, I, I think just being open to the thing of like this thing was joyful and it brought me so much entertainment and I just want I want to go in and, and feel more the same. So uh, I think in that way, like I just like to sort of leave myself open to the possibility of joy. <laughs> I mean, I think we've said from the start, the show never quite does what you expect it to. Um, and, you know, it think as you said things are more complicated you, you don't just blow up one space station and fix everything in the galaxy mm -hmm. <laughs> i think that's what this this season was about and I, I yeah there was some trepidation going into it but i think after you know within the first episode i was quite happy that it was back it was different but um it, it didn't disappoint me 
Everything that made it Ted Lasso in season one made it Ted Lasso in season two. Like I was absolutely watching the same show. Now, did they do the same things and hit the same notes and all that? Absolutely not. But it was getting a moment to check back in with characters that I care about. And like you said, Jason, you know, no, um, I'm not the person I was then. Uh, but also, I think um, a, a certain portion of it, like this time through for people who binged season one, like season two, where it was weekly, was a very different experience. Uh, but I, what I appreciated about it is that it is also evolving and changing, uh, you know, just like all the characters are and all of the stuff that we have liked about it was, uh, you know, watching the arcs of these characters through things. And I think part of uh part of what we get out of it is uh you know something ted tells us in the middle of the season which is it's always going to work out we're smack in the middle of our dark forest right now and it's not and every you have to believe that everything will work out it may not work out the way you expect it to or the way you want it to but it will work out and i feel like that was sort of a i know we got that like more than halfway through the season but i feel like that was setting up season two and even season three for what we can expect out of it and I had enough faith in them the first time when I watched it the first couple of episodes to go yeah I'm going to keep watching this so I just had to have that same faith in them again it was very entertaining the first time this is this season is very different from the first season but also entertaining had great moments was a lot of fun even when it didn't feel maybe all that fun and it was still really great I think it just didn't lean as hard into Ted's attitude Mm. and we got like focus on some of the other characters and so fundamentally we were not following around this this weapons grade optimistic guy and so that's a little different experience one of the things that i really felt for season one was i had this like recurring thought of like i I just cannot believe that this show is made like there are just so many things about it which just seem like it's kind of baffling to me in a in a I think a good way that some that a group of people could come together and make a show that is about the types of things that this show's about. You know, like the first season, it's just like oh, it's about football, but not really. But it's mostly about this guy <laughs> who is just incredibly like unapologetically positive, and that's his whole thing. And that was just like an incredible ride to be on in season one, and then in season two. What they did was, hey, you know that guy that you really love? He's just not going to be in the show as much. And now we're going to focus on other characters and other stories. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that they did this season around mental health and, you know, just all the little tricks that they would pull on me, it it kept me with that same feeling of, like, I just can't believe that this show is made. It it just, it kind of, it kind of begs my belief at certain points, which is, I think, makes it quite special. I don't know, you know, I don't I don't want to spend too much time talking about sort of expectations and, and season one, but I did want to mention that I do think that people, uh, I've seen a lot of discussion that I think misremembers season one, because season <laughs> one, yes. really, a, as much of a wonderful kind of positive show as it is, and how Ted Lasso is positive, and how the show is great because it takes its characters seriously and gives, and, 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 addresses them with a lot of empathy and that they're not caricatures and and all of all of that is is wonderful but you know season one of ted lasso it is about a man running away from a terrible problem in his life and it has some very very sad moments like when he uh gets ted gets a divorce and ted has a panic attack and we learn about jamie tart's terrible 
uh, upbringing and like there are lots of things in season one that are not just you know Xanax to calm you down and make you fe- smooth everything out it, it it wasn't it obviously act two gonna be a little bit more of that unrealistic to think that they would just replay season one again and, and now that everybody's happy and there's no problems like what would that show <laughs> yeah, even any, be like any conflict right yeah, i mean exactly. and they yeah. sprinkled those moments throughout the first season and we talked about this a little bit on one of the the football's life episodes but i think so much of this season um evolved the show from last year when it felt much more like a sitcom with occasional dramatic moments sprinkled throughout of it like and this season, you can even tell by the episode lengths. It went from like averaging about 30 minutes in an episode last season to like 40 to 45. It was much closer to an, like an hour, a traditional hour-long length this year. Mm-hmm. And the drama, I think they sort of rejiggered a little bit. So like when maybe last year was mostly comedy with some interspersed moments of drama, this year I think it was closer to like 50-50. It was much more like a dramedy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's much more like a drama show that ha- that is funny and de- deals with serious dramatic issues. And I think that's very clever because it's like, it kind of sucks you in with like the comedy and like, it's not that it's not funny still, but they increase the amount of drama and the other issues they're talking about that were just hinted throughout the first season more. And I think that's a like, it's just a super smart way to evolve a show, keeping it the things that you like, but also making it more challenging and making it more nuanced as it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Jason, part of what you are men- what you mentioned earlier, you know, we are not the same people that we were when we came across this on TV Plus when everybody had it for free and everything. And I think that is also part of it. Like, given where we were when season one came out, like, if you think about positivity on a sliding scale, yes. Was the first season of Ted Lasso way more positive than the world at that moment? Yes. <laughs> so like if you t- if you were to take that same amount of positivity now, like I don't think it would be quite as as startling. I don't think it would be as notable for being so positive in a time that really was not. I think there's slightly more now. And I think that's part of it is like uh, it doesn't stand in quite a stark relief to anything else uh, like it did when we first got it. So, but also a three act story. I mean, Empire Strikes Back does not end, you know, with a happy, uplifting song and a bow on top. Yeah. Like that's act two is always that. Yeah, I do think that season one was more cheery and positive just in general than season two. And also like, you know, at a certain point as well, all of the marketing and talk around the show centered around the fact that Ted Lasso is just this beacon of positivity and hope. And so I I do understand why some people bounced off the show uh, after like maybe the first few episodes because it is much harder. Ted is dealing with the same stuff but with an increased frequency, right? Like the first few episodes, you can tell there's something wrong and there's something wrong with multiple characters. Like from the beginning, something's going on with Nate, right? Like there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with Nate. Mm -hmm. And like they're sowing seeds of drama throughout, especially like the the, the, the early half of the thing. And it continues the whole way. So I can imagine, you know, I I can understand why some people bounced off it. I always had faith in it. And I mean, I enjoyed every episode, genuine, like every single episode uh, had stuff in it that I loved. I I do think that it is a, for, for my taste, like in the, not the right assessment that the show changed and or the show is worse now, which I think was a, a lot of what yeah. discourse has been. But 
I do under, I do at least get the point where people were like, "Hey, let's sit down for my twenty five minutes of sunshine with Ted," right. and then like the show <laughs> starts beginning, and it's like, "Oh no, wait." Ted has very deep-seated issues with therapists and we're clearly <laughs> going to work through this, right? Like, it's, it is different. I would say like, an argument could be made that the true antagonist of season two is, you know, not R- Rupert, Nate, Dr. Sharon or anybody like that, but it's actually Ted. You know, he's not dealing with stuff properly. He's bottling it up. He's causing problems around him. And it is kind of the, like, this, you know, toxic positivity to a... Th- a certain degree, you know, like not everything can be solved with a cheery attitude and you actually have to deal with your problems. And- What's our spoiler uh, rule, Jason? Oh, we're, we're, uh, thank you for asking, Mike. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that happens in season two. So if you haven't watched season and two season of Ted one. Lasso. And season Yes, sure. And season one. I don't one. know why you're here if you have more. <laughs> and then, uh, then run away or listen and okay. be spoiled. Yeah. Cool, because I was just wanted to to echo what James was just saying. Like Nate is the person I think who sums that up in like an absolutely heart wrenching, huge turn at the end, right? Where he basically says like I am this way, and I'm so mad and sad and angry because of you, Ted. And like it was amazing, right? Like that moment when you know it was very clear that Nate, had, you know, we we were we were being taught to hate him, right? Like we were being taught to be like, you did a bad thing. You've been doing bad things. You, you, you're you acting in very peculiar ways. You're mm-hmm. becoming more and more aggressive and you've done something terrible to Ted, right? Like you've tried to undermine him and you tried to turn the press against him. But the reason was because of Ted's, being in Ted's kind of like, if you're in his focus, as he says, like the, you basically makes you feel like the most important person in the world. And it's so it must be so full on that if he just turns that away from you, you would just spend your entire time trying to chase to get that feeling back. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful oh, well. moment. Well, if you're if you're Nate, though, right? Like that's that is a combination of factors. I think Nate Nate in particular yeah. Yeah. is like he's particularly receptive to that, right? Because we know about his upbringing and that he. Mm. He failed to get it like the the positive attention from his father, and so he get, it's like a plant that gets water, right? And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, I can grow and be all this stuff," and then the water goes away. So it's a it's a I think it's a combination of both those, but I think that's a in, in astute point that it's like it's Ted dealing with his problems, Nate dealing with his problems, and then when they mix, it's like yeah. an even bigger problem. It felt like a series of blind spots this season. Like we we mm. we're dealing with a lot of blind spots because. Like I said before, you know, having faith in the people telling the story, like we got a thing that's going to hang me up until it gets paid off and it may never get paid off. And so I'll be hung up on this forever. But uh, uh, Sam swore about Jamie coming back and stomped off the field and they went and had a conversation. And Ted, after this happened, Ted still went and hired Jamie anyway. And so he's putting like, I need to fix Jamie over like Sam's concerns and Sam's concerns are not, you know, Sam is not alone in those concerns. And so there's like kind of a blind spot there. And like we've, you know, we saw Ted's blind spot when it came to Nate and Nate's blind spot when it comes to getting credit, which is what he wants is credit. It's not that he wants, he doesn't want to be the coach. He wants to get all the credit, which is how he pitches it to Beard and Roy when they're having that conversation. And I think there's definitely something to like what it is that he can't see because he doesn't look at it as everyone having faith in him when Ted refers to it as Nate's false nine. And 
when he overrules Nate to go ask the players what the players want to do because Nate's already given up on them. And like all of the time, like there's a lot of sort of blind, like a series of blind spots happening around. And like one of the times that we see somebody try to address it, like it sort of gets weird. And that's another thing that almost didn't go anywhere. And it's when um, uh, Higgy Stardust is trying to have a heart to heart with Beard about uh, you are a great man. Does Jane make you greater? The one thing I would say about Nate is I I wouldn't entirely put all the blame on everyone else around him because I think he is also a jerk. Oh, and yes. I think he's I think yes. he's been a jerk since season one, but he's now a jerk with slightly more power. And and I oh, think the power changed him for sure. Yes. yes. Yeah, but I think yep. the thing is it's what bothers me or not bothers me, is like when I was watching season one, you know, he's the underdog. We see him, you know, have this increasing confidence. Um, and it feels good to see him go up. And and there are the moments throughout season one, like the, the roast and and things like that, where you see this kind of like, you know, slightly darker side to him, which at the time you think, ah, oh, that, that's good. You know, he's asserted himself, whatever. And, oh, he's he said a f- funny thing. You know, he called uh, Rebecca a shrew or or something. And it's like, oh, you know, that, that that's just comedy. And then looking back on it now, you think, oh, no, he might have, these seeds have been there. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's a case that they, they kind of like retconned it. I think they were thinking about that from the start. I, I think it, it fundamentally comes down to something that's actually fairly common, which is people who are getting bullied and then get power, like turn into bullies, right? Like that is not an uncommon dynamic. And it's certainly the fact that like, if you get bullied and picked on a lot, you unquestionably, you get that sort of like compressed into that like mean streak inside of you, right? Because I think that there is a lot of element of resentment that obviously comes out of that. And you're you're totally right, James, that that is that is sort of dabbled throughout, but we overlook it because we're looking at sort of this picture of a guy who is seems like he's the underdog moving up in the world. And we we kind of, as you said, we kind of brush that off. But the, the fact that he has been bullied for all this time and then it sort of explodes into this, well, now I have power and maybe it, like <laughs> I am becoming the thing that I hated in some ways. You know, mm-hmm. that is certainly the dynamic I think that they're going for there. And it doesn't it, it isn't surprising in retrospect, but because they sort of slow played it throughout, I think it, it came across to a lot of people as like a, a heel turn when, yeah. in fact, it was just it was there all along. I mean, I think like in season one, I liked his character because I saw a lot of myself in him. And in season two, I didn't like his character because I saw a lot of myself in him. I think that's the conversation a lot of people had like right right after that episode, because I know a number of people who sort of said like, you know, I've seen that or like that was me or that was like somebody very close to me. And, uh, you know, and part of the hangup, I think, Dan, you and I talked about this on an episode of Football's Life is... um. Uh, we like Nate like he for his his odd little moments, which at the time felt like comedy because he's this sort of quiet, low key dude. And so when he turns on Rebecca and goes, you shrew, you know, like it's just funny because it's a totally unexpected thing to come out of him to say something sort of mean and cruel like that, which is part of why the roast plays the way that it does it is as very, very funny. But uh, I think part of you know, part of where it comes from is we like Nate. 
we've been liking him all this time and we want him to be better and when you watch somebody go through something like that sometimes you just have to like wait it out and let them work it out for themselves and it's hard to sit and watch somebody being terrible and try to continue to watch them be terrible until they figure out like hey you know every time it turns out there's an a-hole in the situation maybe it's me and then you have to sort of wait for people to work that out however they work it out and and you know you can't just like tell somebody that and have them go oh sorry and then they're fixed right so I think that's part of I think another reason people didn't necessarily like this season as well is because we like Nate and we care about Nate after season one we want him to be better we were excited for his success and this is what he's doing with it and it feels unfair well something it's a, and this is just a very human thing is I, I I was listening to somebody talk about the final episode of season two and saying that they didn't like it um and when I parsed why the answer is they were disappointed in Nate and like the show and, and, and what he said and that what he said was ridiculous and that he he's delusional and all those things. It's like the show, you know, people with fiction, this happens sometimes you're like, Oh, that villain said so many terrible things in this book. Therefore we, the author is bad and we should ban the author. And it's like, no, no characters in fiction do things you don't like for reasons on purpose and and i i can be mad at nate and not be disappointed in the show because that's what the show's that look season one was so nice it had it had such great moments in it and also uh you know watch the characters have to deal with tough things if there's a theme for season two i feel like it's something like everyone is a work in progress or it's not so simple or that's a you made a good start but Right. Like that, that the whole point of season one is, well, that was a good start, but it's people are complicated and situations are complicated and you can't just come in as, as Ted Lasso and you can, you can turn it around, but then you need to maintain it. And I I think that, I mean, and the truth is they talk about this being a three season story and that's fine. I mean, the truth of life is everybody's story just keeps going on. It's, it's like, it's never so simple and it's always a work in progress. But I think here, that's what, that's what this season is all about. And Nate's journey is, is part of it, but we have all these other characters we haven't even talked about who are doing, you know, there are complications that life throws at them and that we get to see more about it. And then in the background, we also, yes, have our main character, Ted, who is struggling with his own, his own issues about his history and dealing with the with Sharon, the sports psychologist, who makes some points. I mean, the show kind of calls it out in episode one, or where where the point is made that do you consider um, only not winning, just tying, being success? And I think implicit in that is also do you consider that Ted came into this team and it got relegated as anything but failure? And it's 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 the show saying there are lots of different measures of success, but just because we all feel good doesn't mean that it is succeeding. And I think that's really I think that's really just the show calling it out right there. And so, you know, it's not necessarily what anybody wanted to see, but I think season two really did make good on that. Uh, at that point and try to take these characters with a lot of love and a lot of empathy um, and process sort of like where they are as a work in progress and why it's not so simple. I mean, I kind of expected the the end that we got for season two because it was an inversion basically of season one and season one 
they they lost the football, but they won the relationships. And in season two, a lot of the relationships are perhaps not in the best place in varying ways, but they won the football. And I would guess season three, the relationships are good and the football is good. And that that, that is our journey. Our, remember, remember one of the things, and there's lots of things in episode 12 that wrap around to episode one, but I just want to point out, James said they won the football. They get promoted, but it's a tie. Right, right. It's yeah. another tie. They just it, tie it's all a ha- throughout the It's season. a happy tie, but it's a tie. And I think that that's amazing, right? Because it's just like, it's all about the context there. That, are we happy about it? Are we sad about it? Yeah, and that also echoes back to the end of season one as well, right? Because in the end of season one, they he didn't want a tie. And then they desperately wanted a tie so they wouldn't get relegated. Yeah. And then what brings them back up again is... The tie. The tie. Which is funny. Which again, it's not always, everything will work out. It may not go the way you expect it to. Let's take a brief break for me to tell you about something that is not a sponsor, but actually it's something I think you might find cool. Now, back in episode 258, back in 2015, we did a rocket surgery about Super Mario Brothers, which recently was the subject of a special uh, live episode of The Flophouse, one of my favorite podcasts. And on that episode of the Flophouse Live, Parker Bennett, who was one of the credited screenwriters for Super Mario Brothers, appeared and told some stories about uh, his time working on the movie, which is um, bananas stories, amazing stories. Um, And he also mentioned that he's launching a website in honor of his writing partner, who he worked uh, with on Super Mario Brothers, Terry Runte, who passed away, sadly, uh, way too young. Um, and Parker is launching terryrunte.com. So T-E-R-R-Y-R-U-N-T-E dot com. Some really fun posts on there. A, uh, a Zoom event with a video about uh, the making of Super Mario Brothers and some other stories about it. Uh, I Definitely the idea there is that uh, Parker is going to celebrate the life and work of Terry Rente, and I think it's a cool idea. And uh, I was... Talking to Parker in the Incomparable members Slack about that, and I told him that I would mention it on the Incomparable, and here we all are. So check it out, terryrente.com. Thank you, Parker. Thanks for uh, being a good sport about Super Mario Brothers. I will say this. Nobody paid us to watch Super Mario Brothers, and they paid you to write it. So who is the real winner here? (laughs) So we should talk about uh, many of these characters that are in here because we've talked about <laughs> Nate's journey and we've talked about the show as a whole. Um, so let's talk about Sam and also about Rebecca because those stories go together. This season mm. does makes the uh, place with us for a while about who the mystery people are on banter. And we discovered that was so clever, like making, I mean, it was Everybody thought it was going to be Ted, and then they wanted they like tried to like double fake you, right? Yeah. There's that moment where they're both using their phones. It was at that moment I realized it wasn't Ted, right? Because yeah. I was like, you're not going <laughs> to. Me too. Right? That's not, uh, that's but, not yeah. what's happening. Yeah. I never would have predicted Sam, and I thought that was great. Like I, I, I loved their relationship too, um, and you know, I was sad to see. And I, I doubt it's the end of it, complete end of it. And I really loved their story uh, throughout the whole thing, and I, I loved all of the stuff with Sam trying to be courted to go play for. Uh, was it was it a Nigerian team? No, that, no, it was, it was Casablanca. It was Casablanca. Team to be. Casablanca. But, uh, so was an Afri- a team was in Africa. Africa but, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, and so I loved that whole story. It was great. The Sam Rebecca thing was the one storyline that didn't work for me in this mm. se- season. Because Ooh, James, get out. You have something <laughs> bad to say about Ted Lasso? Get off this show. Can you imagine if James leaves at that moment and then he has a wild adventure on another episode of the podcast <laughs> that we know nothing about? He just stumbles into a different podcast. Wearing that a fantastic right. pair of trousers at the same time. Like the, the trousers with the stripes and the sequins. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was the power imbalance at the heart of that relationship. They that, never talked about they, it. They, they they mention it like they lampshade it very briefly right at the start, where she says, "You know, like I'm his boss." Oh God, like I'm your boss. Oh God, oh God, oh God. And that was the only time. And that was it. And it's still like if you know if the roles were reversed and it, it and it was a man, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a guy who was running the uh, team and he was dating a much younger woman who was you know an employee and that's why i just couldn't get past that on that i think you know the actual the way that they did it you know was was lovely and the fact that sam was not somebody that we would have thought about um you know perhaps that's on us but it, it all that was good and it was done well but it was just the fact that they never addressed that and they also one of the things that the show i guess Second criticism. I've got so many criticisms for the show <gasps> today. Um, Philistine. Show, I should look that up. Uh, the show never really addresses sort of racism in football, and in a way that I think is unrealistic. Um, yeah. Okay. It's it's a comedy show, but but still, the, those two things and the fact yeah, that you but know, it's not really a football show. Yeah. Well, we say I, I think that would be a big task for them to take on, and I do not fault them for not going there. It'd be one thing if they gave it lip service, but they don't even do that. And I think I'd rather, I prefer that they kind of steer away from it mostly rather than trying to do a job of it that would be, you know, half assed or in <laughs> hard to fit in with all the other stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. it. It's just the kind of like the, uh, I can imagine what would happen in the actual British press if the story of their relationship got out. Well, and I don't in think the real that world. Is, in the, and I don't think that is where the show would go. Friends, I am here to speak to you of the wonders of communism. Rom communism. Uh, because this, I mean, th- this show and, and that episode in particular, but in general, like, I feel like at times they want to remind you it's just a comedy it's and they use the romantic comedy tropes and all that and i think that's important because yes i i my problem with sam and rebecca is not that it isn't a wonderful kind of rom-com kind of feeling thing also a good cheers reference it's the yes mm. it is not the best cheers reference but a cheers reference <laughs> it is a jason sudeikis is george wentz nephew i blew your yes. mind everybody um <laughs> the it, it is not realistic. It is a rom com kind of thing. It does bring up troubling power dynamics that the show doesn't really want to deal with because the show is... I was worried about it more at the beginning because it's very clear that the show is only really interested in taking their feelings seriously. They're not interested in discussing the power dynamic, really. I would say also how quickly the uh, Sam doesn't want to play for the oil company because his dad calls and said they're polluting Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And that that wraps up in a hilariously short amount of time with no fallout at all. 
Um, that felt like they had four things they needed done. And if they just did that one plot point, it took care of them. Like it <laughs> yeah. really, it really, because it it felt like it tied some stuff up and moved some things on. It, it never, it never really came back in the way that I thought it was going to, mm. right? And so I agree that that yeah. is this moment where it's like, oh, if we just do this one thing, there's like a bunch of other things we can do. So let's just get this out of the way now. Yeah. Well, and that that had to do more. And again, I think that goes back to Jason, your point that they they're mostly interested in taking the feelings seriously, right? Like that yeah. was in the end about Sam and about Sam standing up for something that he believed in over the sort of practicalities, right? And yeah. And that doing tells it for us, himself. Right, too. exactly. Like, yeah, and that tells yeah. us, uh, not only does it inform us about his relationship with his dad, which I enjoy quite a bit, uh, but it also informs where he is going and his, you know, how he deals with um, Akufu later on in the season, right, in terms of making that decision. I think all of that plays into Sam's character as a whole. But yes, it, in, in the real world, <laughs> that is not how that any of that would play out. But I don't think it was structured to make a conflict so much as it was structured to develop the character. And, and it's fair to say that in many famous romantic comedies, there are terrible power dynamics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and like, James, to your point, um, we've seen what happens when the fans don't like a thing that's happening and the racism in football. And part of the reason that stuck out to me in particular is because Jason Sudeikis accepted an award with the names of the footballers on the front of his shirt. And everybody was like, everybody in the U.S. was like, what's this about? Mm. And went and got a crash course. And so there was, I think, because I think there was a lot of surprise from a lot of people over here anyway about like, wait, that's a thing that's actually happening in, in football right now? And so I think that's why it struck me because it did strike me like it struck you um, that there wasn't more about that. And I think uh, I think why it stood out was for that reason. And I'm a little disappointed that some of the real world stuff uh, doesn't creep in around the edges once in a while because it might be nice to see uh, what comedy writers who get to do whatever they want with it and don't have to necessarily accept it as reality, like what sort of countermeasure they would put on that. I would like to see it. Yeah, I think it. it it feels like like the whole sponsorship thing like it was something that they looked at having 10 episodes which is what this season was when they wrote it and and they didn't have time to to go down that path because there were all sorts of things that they they did kind of cut corners on like the like the whole sponsor thing um and they did they chose the the way they did the sponsor thing is very much to not make sam quite as singled out although i will say that there are several billionaires who are now very angry at sam which troubles me for season three what's going on poor sam uh because billionaires they own all the teams so um i i i think that there's just stuff that they didn't want to deal with and 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 that the sam and rebecca thing ultimately the reason that i'm okay with what they did with it is largely because they're focused on what sam who Sam is and what he wants to be to become the person that he wants to be. And we get that scene at the end where he's going to buy the restaurant and mm. also Rebecca and like Rebecca's trying to date and uh, settling. And she's got like the boring guy that she dates and she's got the hot guy who just comes over for sex. And she talks to Keely about it. And there's this whole, again, rom com but also really kind of trying to be emotionally true about, you know, not settling and finding somebody who really, um, who deserves you. And all of those parts of this, I think they did really well. And that's why I sort of say, okay, 
Um, I'll give you the rest of it because as as much as you're not dealing with lots of other issues here, I can kind of, you know, they hung an entire episode on the uh, rom-com tropes premise. And I'm like, all right, show, you are still just a comedy and <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to give it to you. And so, you know, it it didn't bother me in the end as much, but it did. You know, I, I don't think it's their surest foot forward on this season in fact james i kind of agree with you that this is the uh, this is the one where they had to kind of cut a bunch of corners and get away with stuff whereas a lot of the other aspects of this season they just kind of were able to glide this one felt like they had to make a greater effort to get what they want and they didn't they didn't make it look effortless to use sports terms I think part of why it clunked a little bit for me also was because like that was sort of the moment when Jamie stood up to become part of the team and like after that everybody was cool with him and that was sort of a thing that I I felt like didn't have like I felt like I guess I felt cheated because I felt like Jamie should have had to try harder to earn to earn his place back on the team as far as like camaraderie and stuff and so I was sort of bummed that like okay so he went and got a piece of tape and that's all he has to do. Uh, I I feel like maybe if you knew Jamie, just him ever doing anything for somebody other than himself might be a key that there is some change to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I I guess it's because I just didn't get to see him suffer enough uh in my opinion <laughs> yeah. for all the all the crap he did in season 1 and so I felt like maybe I I guess I just felt like he needed he should have needed to try harder than to do one single thing at least in my opinion because they did like after that it seemed like you know everybody sort of accepted him so I would like that was just sort of a thing that I noticed but it will surprise you to know I have a theory um and I think somehow um Okufu and uh Dubai Air are gonna team up somehow and they're they're like you said Jason doesn't bode well for Sam in season three I think that's why evil billionaires theory yeah I think yeah I, I don't have a problem with, with Jamie because I don't think that he's immediately redeemed. I think there is a process of him trying to prove himself and that the, the there's at least shorthand there. And I don't know, Ted Lasso doesn't seem like a show where we're going to have to make somebody suffer in order to prove that they have earned themselves back into their good graces. That seems like a, a, antithetical to the Ted Lasso ethos. Plus, there's the difference between what the characters know and what we as the audience know, right? Like, it's not like everybody in on the team gets that dose of what Jamie's dad was like until that scene in the locker room later on in the season but yeah. we know and so the show is talking to us less than it's you know actually talking to the rest of the characters right so i think that that sort of shorthanding works for me because we get i i also didn't want it dragged on for multiple episodes i like these ideas where it's like look we've set up a conflict at the beginning of the episode but we're gonna work it out by the end of the episode yeah because, i didn't need it to be forever you know, i just sort of felt like i felt like it was sort of one thing and then everybody was cool with them after that so i did like jamie as a kind of counterpart to nate because they both have you know problematic father figures but they kind of go in different directions you know yeah, Jamie gets the the sort of the the pub meeting with Ted, and you know Ted brings him back and all that. But once he's back, he kind of like just lets him get on with things and mostly figure things out or delegate to um, the other coaches. Uh, and I don't think we had like a big sort of like Jamie and Ted uh, scene or anything. Uh, and Not one. So, and so like to see Nate, who's basically. You know, he started as the loved figure, and then uh, they they both just cross over at some point. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that there's a um, 
something between that. Like season one to season two, Ted had to win uh, Jamie back, right? In a way. I think that season two to season three, Ted's going to focus on trying to win Nate back mm-hmm. in some way. I think that's going to be one of the things. I don't know if Nate is redeemable. I think everybody's I, redeemable on this show. Yes, everybody. I think that's yeah, the, the, I, the lesson. <laughs> I, I I know what I know. Understand Nate's issues, but like it's kind of what I was going to earlier. I I can't blame him for feeling the way he does. Like from the way that he described it, like I think there's a lot of sense to what he's saying. How a certain character type could be affected by that, and I think that there is a a redeemable quality in him. But it's I, just good. It's got to be treated right. I think if Nate throws Rupert down an exhaust port and then dies, that, that, that's his redemption. <laughs> you got you got one well here, James. You, you know, I I feel like that, <laughs> it's true. that part of what Ted Lasso is about and has to be about is empathy, understanding, and forgiveness. And I cannot envision a world where Nate isn't at least given the opportunity to understand what has gone on. And to re-evaluate his decisions doesn't mean he'll make the right decision in the end, but that he'd be given the opportunity to do it. Also, I feel really strongly that Nate is being set up for a spectacular fall by Rupert. Me and too. That, and that mm. and that Nate is going to be laid very low and have to reconsider and perhaps some compassion will heal him. So he does not have the skill to be in the position that he's in. He's not no. experience, right? right? He was yeah. an assistant coach for half of a season and now he's been put in charge of an entire club in yeah. the premiership. It's just right? for, for revenge like, purposes uh, by Rupert, right? right? It's literally yeah, it's yeah. just to just to cause trouble with his ex and with Ted Lasso. And so it's not going to go well, right? Either either Nate is going to fail spectacularly or he's going to be frustrated by being basically a puppet in someone else's revenge fantasy. And either way, it's not not good for Nate. Right. Yeah, I, I think to, to, to capitalize on what you were saying earlier, Jason, I don't think this show wants to make the point that people aren't redeemable, right? Like, I don't yeah. think that's, that's yeah, not, not the story they're wow. trying to tell. With the exception of, of, the exception of Rupert. Who is an evil <laughs> yeah, person okay. and will always be an evil person? He is a puppet, right? Or not puppet? He's a he's a a stereotype, right? Yes. He's kind of a two dimensional character who's just evil, and it's Anthony Storehead just having a fun time, and that's great. I think you need a little element of that, but I think the characters that we've spent as long with, as you know, Nate, I don't think this show wants to say like end with the idea that this person is a villain or a tragic figure. I don't I don't think that's where no. this show is going. No. I would it is interesting to see like if Nate is a coach who doesn't really have the the knowledge or skills to be a good coach put in charge of a football team. It is basically echoing Ted. Well, he's the, just he's the inverse of Ted, Ted, though, because yeah, Ted yeah, has yeah. only people skills and Nate has only football skills. Yeah. And you need both <laughs> so oh, that's the team the show, up that's what the show would suggest uh, yeah I, just or, before we yeah. move too yeah. far away from it I, I wanted to make one very quick counterpoint to the power imbalance thing uh between sam and rebecca i don't think it's as simple as rebecca has all the power because she's sam's boss's boss because sam is the talent that they need because there's like a whole part of like we really hope he doesn't go right Right, like that's like a big thing in the show, and it's not because ah oh, we all love Sam. It's because ah oh, Sam is a great player, and we need them for our team. So I I don't know how honestly. Like when I look at it, I don't see how that 
the power dynamic stacks up. If you are a good footballer, you will just go somewhere else. Like it, 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 this is when you have that level of skill at that level in the game, he can kind of do what he wants. Really, he already has another option. Like I don't think that they look at it of like, oh, better not upset the boss in that way. I, I don't well, know. And we don't move too much into the double standard area of two of like. Clearly, there. If the as we were talking about, if the the genders were reversed, that yeah. happens, right? Like all the time. <laughs> like, like you know. And it's it's not to say that it's right, but it is saying that like we, you know, I don't know why why necessarily judge it in this case if you know you're not going to talk about it in other cases either. So. Sure. Dan did a noise there. Like, so let's talk about Roy Kent. Uh, let's get a little Roy and Keeley this season. Roy, of course, um, was on his last leg knee uh, at the end of season one. He has retired in this season. We see him, you know, really, I, I find it psychologically fascinating, the idea of an athlete who has had a very successful career, but is at the end of it. And in terms of life is relatively young, but in terms of the thing that they have based their entire life on, they're retired from it and they can't go back to it. And that like, what do you do next if you're an elite athlete who can't do it anymore, but you've got decades and decades of life ahead of you and you've got money and you've got fame but you're also done. And so Roy Kent, you know, he tries to be a pundit. Uh, he's actually pretty good at it in a weird way, but it, but it doesn't, <laughs> but it, but it's not fulfilling to him. He ends up being um, a coach at Richmond, which is of course where he should have been all along. Cause you know, he needs to be on, Brett Goldstein needs to be on the show. Um, and then, uh, and then his relationship with Keeley through the season, Keeley is also kind of uh, her career is, is skyrocketing. So his, his career has ended. Her career is shooting into the stratosphere with her, her banter promotion. And she's going to get funding to start up her own firm at the end of the season. Um, and, and we get uh, there, we get some exploration of their relationship in a way that's sort of, um, again, it's not, you know, the story doesn't end just when the couple gets together. And although the show made a couple of feints that I didn't like where it's trying to put drama into Roy and Keeley's relationship that I don't really appreciate because I don't like sitcoms believing that stable relationships aren't interesting. Um, I think in general, I'm really happy with the fact that they dealt with Roy and Keeley kind of trying to navigate their individual lives and also how their relationship works. And at one point he makes her a playlist. Uh, and that was, and it set off <laughs> and it started playing on my own home pods because Mine too. Apple <laughs> TV. Yep. I mean, I, I will say as somebody who's getting a bit older, seven years older than Brett Goldstein, by the way, mm. um, who's recently <laughs> been having some trouble working professionally at the level he has for decades and is struggling with what that means in terms of self-worth. This storyline really hit me in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that the thing with Roy Keeley are the one true pairing of the show, and I don't enjoy anybody messing with that, um, which I realize that's not how shows work. Hate season three, James. Yeah, I think that they will get married in season three. It's almost certain. Um, but that, that, there's going to be some I put money in, weddings. in the middle. Yeah. yeah, I think you know to Jason your point about the adult relationships. I actually liked this in the most part because it showed people in adult stable relationships dealing with the kind of problems that there are in adult stable relationship, where it's not just, oh, is this the end of our relationship? Is this something that will destroy our relationship? And you know we'll have to walk away. So much as it's, I'm in a long term relationship with someone, I really care about them. 
but how do I deal with kind of the everyday problems that, that crop up, which is still like a valid thing, right? It's not that it's idealized, right? Like after they, yep, they get together, everything's flowers and magic and bunnies and I don't know, other good things. Um, you still have challenges to navigate. And I think that's what I appreciate about the show. You know, the, the whole episode where Roy realizes that he has to give her some alone time, you know, is... It's a good adult way. Like he doesn't quite get it. And then he does get it after he sort of, you know, has that, um, that, that realization. <laughs> and then he just, he acts on it and he's not like, he doesn't, he's not hurt about it or anything. He's just like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. What he was upset about was not that she wanted alone time. It was that he walked in on like two or three different instances of her complaining about it to other people. Like, I think that's the part that he was like, is this what you've been talking to everybody about? That's why he was mad. It wasn't that well, she rather wanted than alone you time. Talked, you talked to me about it, right? Like, and right. and I think many of us who have been in long-term relationships have been guilty of these kinds of things in the past. It was like, oh, maybe instead of complaining about this thing, I should just broach this topic with my partner and, yeah. you know, resolve it. Um, I, I think I'm not quite sure where they're going at the end of the season with this. I think this is an interesting question. I'm not sure this is an existential threat either, because again, as we've talked about, this show always kind of like when you expect it to zig, it zags. So mm-hmm. I, I am not convinced that necessarily they will make this like a, they'll have to break up or something like that. But I, I think there are more challenges for them to navigate. It's yeah. got to be a cliffhanger, yeah. right? Sure. I think some of my favorite moments this season were with Roy. Um, like uh, when I went back through to watch again for the podcast, um, I had forgotten that Rebecca's whole... I'm dating a boring dude and I take him to meet my friends and then I split up with him. That was all the first episode. Yeah. And like I had forgotten kind of how fast we rocketed through all of that. But the moment afterward when uh, they ask Roy what he thinks of this guy and Jason, you alluded to it earlier. um, I felt like I was sort of hearing a little bit of Ted through a Roy filter and because of all the swearing and it was just really interesting to hear Mm -hmm. Roy be super casual about well you're amazing and you should be with somebody who makes you feel as amazing as you are because you're amazing and obviously with more swears and I really appreciated like sort of it felt like kind of a ripple effect of Ted in that moment that like some of what you know like Roy is sort of letting his feeling show as we found out at the end of the season he has one um mm-hmm. and which is another of my favorite moments like it kind of hurt my feeling and he sort of <laughs> hits the end of it so you know that it was just the one uh and, and so like that was another sort of moment that i really liked um and i really appreciated the moment um in the tub when he when he figures it out and goes and destroys a bunch of Keeley's neighbor's rose bushes in order to give her a nice bath and he and they talk about you know he says like you know the woman at the shop said this was like a great thing for if your feet are gross and she was like you think my feet are gross and he's like you're awesome but yeah your feet are terrible and so let's talk about how much i love you because i'm gonna leave now for a while and give you some alone time and like just some of those moments like through the season those were some of the things i really liked i sort of appreciated he was kind of the main character in the rom communism episode um <laughs> he has to run from the studio all the way down to the pitch and everything uh I I think one of the moments I laughed the hardest was um, in that episode when uh, Ted and Isaac come around the corner and they're looking for him. They're looking for for Roy and they can't find him. And all of a sudden, ding, and his phone goes off and the screen lights up his face and they both, ah! It was like all of those I loved. 
I think, you know, it, Jason Sudeikis and Hedda Waddington are great actors, but I think Brett Goldstein and Juno Temple need to start getting some awards pretty soon. Brett Goldstein is the breakout star of the show. I mean, he won the Emmy on season one, which is wild, right? Like, that's how that works, right? So, like, you know, so, and his performances in season two were far better, and I think they proved it. I mean, I think it could be argued he's probably the main character in this season. So much of the show revolves around Roy's story. Like, there are a lot of the big beats of this season are revolving around Roy. And I think that the the team behind the show have realized how great Brett Goldstein is in this role. Like, in season one, he doesn't really have much more than any of the others, right? Like, right. he hasn't got a bigger role than Jamie Tart, for example, right? Like, it, they're much and much the same. He's part of the team. He's a stand-up part of the team. But in season two... He is an incredibly important figure throughout the whole season and he's so good in every part of it. Like I con- was consistently blown away by Brett Goldstein's work. I, I think that this show is going to make him a-, a big star. Yeah, I hope it makes him a big enough star that his dream finally gets to come true of getting to work on a project with the Muppets, which is the thing <sighs> that he is not secret about and automatically makes him my favorite character of anyone on the show is because... Brett Goldstein, on top of being a man of of exceptional com- comedic skills, he's also a man with outstanding taste in entertainment, and like I just have to support that no matter what. The uh, he's already sold a show to Apple TV that he mm-hmm. developed with Bill yep. Lawrence, so like the Brett buy you, it's too late to buy low on I Brett Goldstein stock. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, it's a recent yes. development. Well, yes, Mike, it's a it's a new uh, segment here on the incomparable called uh, Upstream. Hi, welcome to Upstream. <laughs> uh, in which, uh, yeah, he's uh, with uh, with um, fellow actually um, Jason Siegel, fellow Muppet enthusiast, is the yes! star of that of that show. Um, written by. This is why I have a lot of hope for my man. Yeah, Brett that's Goldstein right. They're they're all planning their, their Muppet. He's got an uh, end with the Muppets. Muppet knowledge. Okay, so uh, Ted Lasso. We should talk about the guy who the show is named for in the context especially of of Sharon, the uh, the doctor, the sports psychologist who comes, Doc Sharon, I like to call her, because uh, like, Ted likes to call her that. A- and we get uh, her talking to people and the, sort of the importance of of uh, therapy and being able to talk about your issues. And, and, and uh, Ted is resistant to it. And that's kind of one of his big stories in this season. And I thought this one really rung true which is you know he has a personal philosophy but his personal philosophy has a lot of denial in it where he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to dwell on issues that are negative he wants to glide over them which is i think again the show saying positivity is great but positivity that's just being used to bury problems that you don't want to deal with is not healthy and so having sharon here and having their their relationship be complicated that like she gets in the bike accident and he he worries about her and then she gives him advice and we see that her life is not you know she's not perfect either and that like there we're all imperfect people um i i i enjoyed this because i really like the that dose of again it's more complicated than that and ted just because ted uh, sign the divorce papers, right? Doesn't mean, well, now it's all fine. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot more going on there. And we learn about Ted's dad who killed himself and how he feels about that. A lot of dad issues in this show. So, uh, Doc and Doc Sharon, just a uh, great, great uh, Sharon Fieldstone, great character, uh, great addition to the, the show this year, I thought. 
I'm definitely glad that uh, they've said she is coming back for the third season because where it wrapped up, it seemed like she was going to go away. And I was worried about that because, yeah, I think she's such an integral part of like challenging Ted in a way that nobody else has or could and just pointing out to him the flaws in his philosophy. Yeah, I bet this is one of those things where it's like she was only intended to be around for a season, but then the performances between the two of them, Jason Sudeikis and, and mm. uh, what is the, the actress? Sarah Niles. Yeah. Sarah Thank Niles. you so much. And, and, and Niles, is, they're so good. It's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'd like some more of that. Like <laughs> this, yeah. this is very, And I will say some of Sudeikis' performances in those moments are truly astounding. Like the way that he is, cry- the way he cries so good. Oh, like the reading the he, letter at that last oh in that last. God. Yeah, oh yeah. God! Like, to, to himself, be able yeah. to make me come along with him on that ride while I get nothing is that really wasn't just an excellent performance from him. The sequence where he's t- telling the story of his dad intercut with Rebecca telling the story of her dad Beautiful. was one of yeah. the one of the finest sequences of television. Not just of streaming or of Ted Lasso mm-hmm. or anything like that, but of television that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, it was so well there. made. But yeah, I, I think, I think you know, you made a good point, James, that the having a foil for him that is uniquely suited to getting at what is going on behind the Ted Lasso facade. I think the only other person who comes close is Beard, but he has his own almost sort of like non-interventionist policy a lot of the time, it seems, where he's mm-hmm. like content to let people do their thing and occasionally nudge them in a direction or another. But, you know, we've seen him as the only person who will really uh, push back who Ted will sort of like listen to. I mean, that whole uh, end of first season where he talks about, you know, we still we still got to win. We're still playing football here and it sucks it to lose. It still matters, yeah. 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 It, do- and, it is and important that, that we that's, win. That is important to have somebody who not only can push back at him, but also can understand what's going on inside his head and help him understand what's going on inside his head, I think is is vital because otherwise we end up with this character who feels like we know there's more to him, right? We've seen the moments where he's not happy, upbeat Ted, um, but we, we've also, you know, experienced that he can bury that so far underneath that there's there's he can even delude himself into thinking that everything is great all the time. And so having her there to sort of peel back those layers and reveal that to both the audience and to Ted himself, I think is, is as you said, integral to the show. I, th- I think also having her be basically a better Ted than Ted, or at least that's how it, it comes across initially, that she is hyper-competent. And, you know, the, the, you see the scenes of like whoever it is going into the office and then just coming out, yeah, everything's great. Mm. And he has that mm. mo- th- that self-doubt initially which i think leads to why they have that antagonistic relationship at the start um and i think there's the line about uh how he made her a better therapist uh but she was damn good to begin with or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. well the yeah the idea that he's threatened by her uh, again you know as a sports fan lifelong sports fan i love this idea that they're sort of like the psychology of being a motivational person and a coach and a team and having it all be about the team um, and that Ted is a good manager of people, but that it's not, it's about 
the team and it's about being the manager and, and uh, at work essentially. And although she's employed by the team, Sharon kind of represents the individual a little bit, uh, right? She's dealing with their individual issues. And like, I, I'm fascinated by not only uh, Ted being threatened because it's like his magic, his secret sauce is being, you know, motivational and, and, and talking to people and figuring them out and giving them little army men if they want them, but not if they don't <laughs> and all of that. And then, uh, and then you get Sharon, uh, who's like, well, wait a second, you know, you're going to talk to them, but like, that's, that's my thing. That's, that's my special thing. Um, and having it really be about the fact that Ted doesn't want to confront certain things about himself. I just, I thought that dynamic was really good. And I, I enjoy the fact that it's a, uh, it's a thing I think about a little bit about, uh, there's a difference between somebody giving a good speech in a locker room and somebody actually listening to you talk about your problems. Like they're not yeah, the same right. at all. Mm-hmm. We should talk about the structure of the season briefly because there were 10 episodes and then they added two episodes in. And we have, there's a whole podcast called Football is Life. You can find it on wherever podcasts are sold. We did every episode of Ted Lasso on it. You can take it episode by episode. So I don't want to break it down again, but we did have these two kind of deviation episodes where we had the Christmas episode, which again, like the show is saying, yes, we are a TV show and uh, we, we like these tropes and we like sitcoms <laughs> and, and rom-coms and we're going to do that. And then there's Beard After Hours, which is... Um, after hours <laughs> with coach beard in it instead of uh griffin dunn uh and those are the two kind of oddball episodes and i i found the reaction to them very peculiar because i think because they were added late in the process and therefore don't drive the plot forward of the season i think a lot of people were upset about them and maybe it's a maybe it's a generational divide even but like I I come from a time when every episode of television <laughs> stood alone and I thought it was kind of delightful that this show had the confidence and I understand it was also because they'd already written the rest of the season to say we're going to set this aside for a moment and do a fun Christmas episode or we're going to set this aside for a moment and do this wild uh digression with coach beard who we who we get the impression leads a very weird interesting life but we never actually see it and now we're going to see it one time i thought that they they structured this very well actually i mean they talked about the fact that they expected the first three to be shown in one block which didn't happen this year right mm-hmm. but essentially the way it's structured is there's a first act the first three episodes of the season there's a break there's the middle act that's four episodes, there's a break, there's a break. and then there's the final act that's three episodes. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure how you do that better. You could have tacked on the Christmas special at the end, but like, then you'd be frustrated because all the stuff is like cliffhanger, and you're like, well, I want to mm-hmm. know what happens next, and none of this stuff is addressed in this Christmas episode. happens in the middle. I, I, I thought about this. I'm sure they talked about it, and Christmas is in the middle of the soccer season. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if they were to do the Christmas episode, either they would, would just have to pull it out and put a note year. saying, this yeah. happened in between two episodes of season two, or you could just run it in between two episodes of season two, or you have to go into the future and you don't want to do that because you want to, don't want to talk about next season yet because you're I not there. It, it would have worked right. better if, I mean, what was weird about the Christmas episode is that it came out in like August or something. <laughs> you know, like it, it yeah. was, that was yeah. what was yeah. why it threw people off. It was like, why, wait, what? Like, I know, I know that was kind of how I felt. It was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> why are we at Christmas now? It's, it's Christmas, Mike. Do you not know this? <laughs> Did you not get I, I know you Americans have Christmas stuff in your shops. You know, <laughs> all the time. Months, all July, around. Man. July. Yeah. 
Well, I think there was probably Christmas stuff in stores when we got this episode. Um, but that aside, like it was only the thing that when I noticed people complaining about it, like a lot, um, it seemed sort of like what people were upset about was it n- like nothing happened in this episode. It and it doesn't always forward for the season. Yeah. yeah. They mean. And then, yeah. but then also like, you know, the people that were like, why is it Christmas in August? Like the episode before this, it was snowing, but also <laughs> like, it's only going to be weird once because now the entire season is out. And now you have an amazing Christmas thing to watch every Christmas forever. I, w- I would love to have heard the discussion about, because you could argue that they could have just not run it. And then and then and then it released a, a Ted Lasso November. Christmas special and said this happens between episode three and four or season two. But like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's now on demand forever. So I also just love the idea that people struggle with the whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not Christmas outside. How can it be Christmas on television? And it's like different times. There's happened. also no <laughs> pandemic in Ted Lasso. Yeah, by yeah the way. right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that in my opinion, the Christmas that the Christmas themed episode is the worst episode of the season. Like. It, I don't think that it holds as much like and it's not just because it, it didn't move the plot forward because I loved the episode with Beard I just thought it was excellent at the Christmas episode was it called Carol of the Bells yeah yeah like it it was kind of just a little bit like eh. like it was fine but like I, I, I think that it wasn't necessarily the strongest episode I don't think and and it was weird and came out of nowhere uh, I think that kind of mixture really... I understand why it threw people off. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. Is, 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 is Hannah Waddingham <laughs> singing at the end. And, like, but, you know, th- I mean, the best, probably the best moment in the entire season is her singing later on, which maybe we'll get to in a bit. I mean, I did, like, it just gave you more Roy, and I would take anything. You could set it at any time of the year, I, and I'll watch and more I, Roy. I, I just enjoy the, I, I mean, it's hokey, but the whole scene, the whole plot thread with Higgins and his wife having everybody over for dinner and people right. just keep showing Lovely up with Christmas random episode. stuff. Like I enjoy, I enjoyed it, but I, I think it, it is kind of, it was a bit like too inconsequential and I know why people maybe got stuck on it. This is what's so weird about it. And that's why I, I keep saying they could have held it and I know why they didn't. And, you know, ideally the way to do this is that you release it on Christmas and you build the whole season around it and they weren't going to do that. They wanted it out as soon as they could get it out. And so they, they put it out in August is that after years now, I mean, Oh my God, like more than a decade now of <laughs> doing podcasts about Dr. Who Christmas specials and watching Dr. Who Christmas specials. <laughs> even as an American, I now understand what an English Christmas special on TV is. And the answer is, you know, you're, you're, you're full, you ate your dinner, you had some drinks, your family's around, you flip on the telly and there's a show and it's going to be maybe a little bit loud and it's going to be simple and it's going to be cheery and like, don't think about it too much. And it's just nice. And, and those Doctor Who specials are like that too. Like when they're properly done, like they're not for like they're not a regular episode. They're like they're a for Christmas special. And while I was watching the Ted Lasso Christmas special, I was like, "Oh, that's what this is. It's not yeah, Ted Lasso. Did. It's the Ted Lasso Christmas special, and it's it's different. And it's weird that they did that because everybody's watching it in the context of this season, not to, turning on the telly on on Christmas Day. And yet they they obviously were going for that feel. And uh, I I think that's why it's not 
like the rest of the season. I was okay with it once I understood it. It's going to be a great Christmas thing. Like yeah. I will watch this at Christmas. Yeah, right? Cause totally. You're right, they Absolutely. nailed, like they do with everything else in this show, to, to, to a Englishman, Britishman's opinion. Like, they hit, I've said this about the show, I think, in the last recap uh, episode too. They hit culture here really well. Like it feels like it's made. It, I know in part it is. It feels like it's made by a bunch of British people because they 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 hit it really well. And again, this is one of those things where it's like this is a thing we have. Like we have the Christmas specials. I mm-hmm. will put a, an asterisk on your uh, thing, Jason. In soap operas, the most dramatic oh, episode okay. of the Christmas special. That's fair. That's, That's when fair. people get murdered. Okay. Yeah. Not no, always. Thinking of like when they bring the, the stars of a sitcom back and they have a big mm-hmm. uh, no, roly-poly episode. Like more yeah. feel-goody shows. Yeah, and only like fools and horses best, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. You, have you watched that, the right? Have you watched the Luther Christmas special? It's just really dark, no. man. Well, yeah, all of it, that's when it gets like, you know, you're either going for feel good or the most drunk. <laughs> or or they drop a plane on the village. That's usually yeah. the... <laughs> yes. The writing staff on, on Ted Lasso, I think it's more, I think it's more English in, in season two than it was even in season one. Um, Brett Goldstein has talked a little bit about in season one, how he was sort of like the police to patrol the <laughs> scripts and be like, no. That's not a thing here. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed and watched a lot. Uh, back in the day, uh, the Martin Scorsese film After Hours, again, starring Griffin Dunn. They thought Griffin <laughs> Dunn was a movie star. Interesting. Um, and that's a fun movie. And it is it is a movie about a guy uh, from basically sunset to sunrise in New York City, wandering around having increasingly ridiculous and weird adventures. And uh, so I loved Beard After Hours for that reason. And I guess mm-hmm. I get that it maybe isn't for everyone. And again, I love off-format episodes. And I know that some people are very disturbed when they're not getting the product <laughs> that they expected. I get it. I love it and so i loved beard after hours i got what they were doing i love that this is this character who we see so little of and then you get this glimpse into his world and it's like what and uh it just it just keeps going yes. and going and going and it does have ties to the plot which i think is interesting yeah, with does. jamie's dad Beard after hours yeah. is is, yeah. is better than the christmas episode for that like <laughs> because it, it is like the second half of the episode you watched yeah. last week like they do a, I, I really like that like you know because at the time i thought where is beard going Right, like in the episode, why is mm-hmm. he just leaving? And it's really great that next week you see they had more time to write this episode yeah. because yeah. it's inserted at nine and, instead yeah. of four. And I, I think that they did some work in episode eight and episode yeah. ten to to fit nine in around it in a better way too. Yeah. Oh, they so, just spent a bunch of time thinking like, hang on, where can we where can we put something that maybe you know like that it yeah. may have been. But where yeah, do we have a gap like that yeah. we can yeah. sort of yeah. I I think for me as someone who was not familiar with After Hours but still enjoys sort of absurdist comedy moments, this episode for some reason remind me of one of my favorite British sitcoms, which is Spaced, and it has that sort of <laughs> totally absurdist take on things that are going on and you're like what is oh happening God. and it just I love it, spaced and I never realized that's what it was that it reminded me of until you said that oh my it God. just it okay. has a similar vibe to it I think and 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 it's just I really enjoyed it because it goes off in these unexpected directions and even though it doesn't really have any real bearing on the plot it's still a fun a fun break from what we're seeing and and like you said Jason delving into the the uh, uh, like lives of a character that we don't really spend that much time with, who is 
themselves kind of a cipher at times, right? Mm-hmm. Because Beard is inscrutable. That is his whole thing. And now, having watched this episode, you kind of get the idea of why he is so inscrutable. <laughs> because if he tried to explain his life to anybody, nobody would believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I'd never seen After Hours either. Uh, but I think we talked before, like, even, you know, in se- back in season one about how Beard is just off in another TV show yeah. somewhere. And we got this one episode of it. And I think it it just... It also gave some plot relevance to the relationship between him and Jane. And like, you know, you got the you get the sort of like throwaway lines of like, oh, we've broken up. And then he looks at his phone and says, oh, we're oh back thank together. God we're back together. And but you actually see that, you know, there is a real relationship there to a certain extent. It's not just a joke. Um, and I also like, you know, she's one of the writers on the show, the, yeah. the actress mm-hmm. who plays uh, Jane. Their relationship's real bad, James. I, I gotta tell you, it's not a good relationship. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying <laughs> it's a good one. relationship, but I'm saying it's a real relationship. Yeah, well, <laughs> real there, bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there were two things about this episode that that I appreciated very much. First of all, the day after it aired, David Lynch was tr- trending on Twitter. Um, because a lot of people were convinced he directed this episode, which I thought was really, really, really funny. Uh, But also, I think what I love about it is, you know, it is, we've talked about Beard being on his own show. And, you know, James, like you said, we just got an episode of it. And we got a good long look at a night in the life of Beard. And I still don't think, I think he is exactly as inscrutable now as he was before I saw that episode. And like, just because we've seen more of what he gets up to, like, I have more questions, not fewer. And like, I still want to know more about him. But I also know that I don't want to know more about him because then he's not any fun anymore. Um, But like some of the little moments in it, like him starting the evening with the super fans. And then at the end of the night, you know, he gets out of the limo and he gives them a note and says, go to this address. Tell Renee Beard said it was okay. Like, that that was a very Ted moment, I felt mm-hmm. like. He was doing something super, like, he was giving them the most amazing thing that he had to give them. Yep. And, and it didn't cost anything, which is also kind of a funny, you know, like, all it was was, you know, he was just cashing in kind of a favor, you know, with Renee to, to let them have, like, the thing they want most in all the world. And I really appreciated that that was him uh, sort of reaching out to them, you know, with a nice gesture. What I appreciate about this episode is that um, is that Beard ends up in a church that's got a secret nightclub in the basement, which is great because <laughs> because just down the street from James Thompson's house, there is, there is a, a former church that has been turned lots of places like this. In, this is like a thing into yeah. a well. There are a lot of disused churches in the UK, yeah. I guess, and they've yeah. been all been turned into uh, discos or other kinds of uh, event spaces. Discos. So. I'm that just sounds saying. amazing. Discos. Discotechs. Discotechs. <laughs> exactly. It's a British. It's We've UK transported thing. them back into the 70s. As well. Discos. Discos. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was an appropriate word to use there while I'm thinking about Beard's pants. That's all. <laughs> I mean, that's the, like, we can all agree that that's the ultimate Halloween costume this year, right? Mm, interesting. Uh, and also, I think the ultimate episode title. So, the, uh, so season two of Ted Lasso. Overall, I want to go around. I want I want a final uh, judge final judgments. Uh that sounds so dramatic about uh, season 2 of Ted Lasso. How you felt about it? Now that it's all in the books and how you're feeling headed for season 3. James, I I had some hesitation at the start because I was like, are they just going to try and repeat the success of the first season and they completely went in a different direction and 
I had problems with it initially. I like I didn't like the way Nate was going, and I didn't like a bunch of things. And then I realized that the problem was me, not the show. And uh, I was really on board by you know like three or four episodes in, and I think it's great. And and you know I can't the fact that the episodes went from like thirty minutes to forty five minutes. It's like we are getting like the equivalent of however many extra episodes of Ted Lasso, effectively. Um, it is great. I look forward to seeing what they do in season three, and I look forward to them surprising us again. I don't know what they're going to do with the show. Uh, to make it even uh, surprise us once more. But I, I think they can do it. Believe the writers. Dan? Yeah, I. it's tough. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I try not to go in with too much in the way of expectation. But you do want to see a show grow and evolve, right? Like you want it to hit the, hit the stuff that, that you liked, but you also want to, I think, want to see more complex, more interesting stuff as you go. And I think it manages to deliver mostly on that front. I wouldn't say it's with that, not without its rough spots. Um, even season one had its, you know, its rough spots in places. But I think overall, they did a really great job of elevating this show to a new level. And that is not always without challenges in the way that it's received. Um, I think people struggle a lot with this season because it is more complex. And it is not just like a series of jokes and feel good memes, right? It is, it has got more interesting things to say about these people. And, uh, you know, James compared it to empire before. And I think it's, it's a pretty good comparison in terms of like, you know, there are parts of this season that feel a little bit like a downer and that's okay. I mean, the story's not over yet. So uh, overall, I'm, I enjoyed a lot of it. I, I think it had a, um, I think it had a, a bit of a rough start to it, but I think that once you sort of hit the the uh, midpoint of the season, I thought the, the rom-com episode in particular was the one that felt me like, all right, we're firing on all cylinders here. Like, this is the story we want to tell, and we're going to kind of run forward from that. And I did not feel that it left up my, let up much after that point. So I, in the end, was was very delighted with this and um i'm i'm really excited for season three i think that they've shown that they can handle themselves and that they've got a story they want to tell and that that to me is the the biggest form of reassurance you can get yeah i i understand that different people have different expectations i like you dan don't don't really understand why you would look at season one of something and say i would like all future seasons to just be this and to not already told all those jokes grow and change <laughs> like don't do it because it it's not going to be good because you will have already seen it you just watch them they're, they're already there on apple tv plus you just watch them again you, why would you just replay the old hits you do grow and evolve and 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 that's I, yeah but some people are like that and that's fine i guess but i don't understand it mike uh final thoughts about season two and onward yeah i've been an unapologetic fan of this show like the whole way through, um, like to the point that in going into season two, I had no concern. I was like, they're not going to set me wrong. Like, you know, because t- season one was so good in so many ways. I just had absolute, like, unwavering faith in the ability of the team to put together a great show. And it surprised me in a bunch of ways. A lot of the mental health stuff really resonated strongly with me. Like, Ted's hesitancy to see a therapist, but then how it ends up helping him in the end, like it, that, it really meant something to me. I, I thought it was very well done, and overall, like, I I really respected a lot of what I thought were quite gutsy decisions that they made, like the two episodes we spent a bunch of time talking about. They just did that, you know. Um, of course, you know they they the season two blessed us with uh, 
a Rick roll that made me cry, <laughs> right? Which is just, I think is going to be like an all time TV moment because yep. that was just beautiful. Whoever came up with that is an absolute genius, right? Because it's very smart. You, I mean, I could imagine they built the entire episode around someone had this great idea about the Rick Astley song and fantastic. But overall, uh, Apple are incredibly lucky to have this television show. Um, it had no right to be as good as it is. It has no right to be as good as it continues to be. And I cannot wait for season three of a TV show about a American coach <laughs> in English football. Strange feeling, isn't it? Kelly, final thoughts? I really liked it. And part of what I liked about it is what I like about most second acts in a three act, which is... Uh, you're coming generally you're coming into the second act having been invested in the first act in some way and so you get uh, the most stuff that happens in that one because like act one you've got some setup like here are the characters you're meeting here's the situation they're in here's what the, you know let's see what they're going to do about it and then the second act is all here's all the stuff that they do about it and then the third act is sort of wrapping up uh, so, you know, whatever it, you've decided to wrap up and sort of get to the end of your story. So the the most forward movement tends to happen in the middle. So even though it ends on on sort of a down note, um, it's still like where so much of the action already happens. And one of the things I appreciated about this season is um, it took everybody that we cared about and gave us new dimensions on all of them because we already cared about them. So like, you know, what made Nate so frustrating was that we like him and what made Ted so frustrating is that we like him and what made uh, like, and, and what made like Sam and Rebecca not being together um, frustrating was because we like them and all like, you know, and, and Roy and Keely and everybody like watching as things happen and, and really rooting for them. Uh, was a thing that I loved. Uh, I really hope we get another Christmas special next year so they can reuse the claymation intro, which I just thought was amazing. Um, the whole evening where uh, uh, Ted and the doctor go out and have a drink and play some pinball and all of that, like that was all just delightful. And like all of the interesting dynamics in this season, like we didn't even really talk about Roy and Jamie's dynamic changing dramatically this season but it totally did and I really love that and I really can't wait to see where we get with season three which will include in my estimation anyway um the backdoor pilot to the spinoff that's just about Keely and her life with Roy and her new PR firm and everything else oh get ready for the TLCU right like is that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> if they're not doing season four something's gonna yeah. happen yeah, so they're not those, letting go of this show so Mike and I have been talking for a while now about how they talk about this three season story that they've got planned and how Jason Sudeikis's kids are back in America and how the Ted Lasso's only gonna be three seasons long and then they win all these Emmys and Apple's got all the money in the world and and like we always have speculated like well let's see what happens when money comes to you know comes to play here if they might change their tune and there was an interview with bill lawrence after the season two finale where when they asked him about the three season storyline he said well the three season storyline is real we have a plan for those three seasons what happens after that it would need to be a new story of some sort and i thought there it is (laughs) Yeah, three seasons is just a state of mind. Yeah, you know? Jason, let me tell you, Supernatural was supposed to be had a five season storyline. <laughs> that show uh-huh. ran for fifteen yeah, the, seasons. The never, never underestimate the power of the truck that's backing up to your house, loaded full of money. It will 
change your life and you will do whatever it says. Everybody, ah, yeah, it's just gonna, one of those things. I, I get the creative impulse and I wouldn't want them to stretch out the third season to five seasons. And I appreciated Bill Lawrence's answer, which is we're going to tell the story we want to tell. And then if they pay us a lot of money, we'll tell other stories, we'll tell basically. Stories. And yeah. it's like, that's that's fine. That's fine. We'll bring Ted Lasso back to America. We'll have Roy be in charge of the team. There'll be the adventures of Keeley, <laughs> whatever. You know, we'll, we'll give Rupert a show where he's evil every week in a <laughs> we different way. Animated cartoon spinoff. Whatever. <gasps> Just get, the, get it out there. So I, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that kind of worries me is like, I think they had written this season before season one had fully aired or something like that. Yes. So they hadn't had the full response to that. Yes. And I'm worried now we're at the point where the success of the show will influence the writing of the show going well, forward. Well, it might make it better. Yeah. Why do you worry so much? Big I will budgets. Say- I am mm-hmm. I am very excited uh, when season seven or eight rolls around and they spin off Jamie into his own show where he opens a bake shop called Jamie's, Jamie's Tarts. Tarts yep. I think <laughs> I think it's the winner is what I'm saying. It's right next to Sam's restaurant and they have yeah. uh, that's right. That's a right. Back, they have a friendly rivalry back yeah. and forth. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. That's See, that's a million it, ideas. It's great. That's why they're gonna back up that Dan, that sound that you're hearing. It's the truck <laughs> backing up to your house full of money. <laughs> and they can oh, just thank play. God I need one of those yeah. things. <laughs> they could just host their own bake off rip off. Oh, oh man, the Ted, Ted Lasso. Can you imagine what the Crown and Anchor will look like when they're watching that on TV? <laughs> I mean, we didn't get to that moment either, which was also a great show, a great moment in the show. All right, onward to season three. And again, if you like hearing us talk about Ted Lasso, Football is Life, it's a whole podcast about Ted Lasso on the Incomparable Network where we talked about every single episode in detail. So you can check that out with a whole bunch of different people every week. Uh, I'd like to thank my panel for this episode of The Incomparable for uh, coming here and telling me about how football is life, but also death. We didn't mention Danny Rojas. Anyway, there's a dog and it's all cyclical and it's all fine in the end. James Thompson, thanks for being here. Uh, tomorrow, you and I are going to a villa by the sea for six weeks. <laughs> oh, I uh, mm, uh, I got something to tell you about that. But anyway, Mike Hurley, thank you for being here. <laughs> Jason, it's funny. Some things in your life, they make you cry just knowing they exist. And they also make you cry knowing they're gone. Mm-hmm. Kelly Gamont, thank you. It was all in that letter I wrote you, Jason. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, oh. Greyhounds, let's get in formation. <laughs> and Dan Warren, thank you. Jason, I can't be your mentor without occasionally being your tormentor. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to us on this episode of The Uncomfortable. We will see you next week. 